Welcome to the True North Podcast. This podcast is about navigating through today's culture in the direction that lands at the heart of God. Let's go. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Jesus is worth the trouble. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for today, God. Thank you for being so awesome. Holy Spirit, thank you for being in the building. We surrender to you, Lord. We surrender to you. We surrender to you. We surrender to you, Lord. Remove everything that will cause us not to hear, Lord, with ears, Lord. Uh, remove every obstacle physically, mentally, spiritually, emotionally, so, Lord. Remove every insecurity. Remove every ounce of anxiety, Lord. Whatever the devil, whatever strings he likes to play, Lord, I thank you for silencing those right now in the name of Jesus. Lord, I thank you. We receive what you want to deposit inside of our hearts. We receive what you want to deposit on the side of our minds, Lord. We receive, Lord, whatever it takes to bring us to the next level of glory, we receive that today, God. Not so people can look at us and not so people can be proud of us, Lord, but so people can see you, Lord, so all the earth may come to know you, Lord. So all the earth, so all of Henderson County may come to know you. So all of Lexington may come to know you. So all of West Tennessee will come to know you. So all of the state of Tennessee will come to know you. So all of this country will come to you. So all of this earth will come to know you, Lord. Lord, it's not a big task. It's not a tall order. In fact, we know it's not a tall order because you've placed us in the very community, the very job, the very home, the very family, Lord, that you have placed us in. So we surrender, we submit, and we accept We accept your next step, Lord. We accept your next mission assignment, Lord. We accept your next task today. Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. In Jesus' name I pray. Everybody said, Amen. Amen. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Jesus is worth the trouble. I, like, I just like saying that sentence because it sounds provoking. It's like, does Jesus get us in trouble? Ah, uh, No. Ah, yes, it's 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 a midst. It's a but when I say trouble, I understand this. And if you are taking notes, that you could put that at the top of your paper. Uh, Jesus is worth the trouble. But when I say trouble, I'm not talking about you know like uh, sitting a quarter and you in timeout kind of trouble. I'm talking about uh, trouble. It's defined as difficulty or problems, uh, effort or exertion made to do something, especially when inconvenient. Uh, trouble is defined as worry or inconvenience, disturbance disturbance. So when I say Jesus is worth the trouble, I'm saying Jesus is worth the inconvenience of our flesh. Amen. When I say Jesus is worth the trouble, he's worth the disturbing, this, the, the disruption of our flesh. He's worth, he's, worth the, he's worth frustrating your flesh. He's worth frustrating your plans. He's worth frustrating all the different things that you thought you was going to be doing with your life. So if you have a Bible, we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 12, New Living Translation. Jesus is worth the trouble. <clears throat> Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, New Living Translation. <clears throat> Whenever you have it, say amen. If you don't have it, we'll put it on the screen. But uh, the author of Hebrews, he says this, Therefore, somebody say, therefore. Since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race of God has set before us. Let's say verse 1 for a minute. Um, so I want you to notice this. Bible study tip. Are you ready? Bible study tip. You see that word, therefore. Somebody say, therefore. So Bible study and tip, whenever you read the word of God and you see, therefore, you need to go to the chapter before it and see what it is there for. So uh, it's a corny thing, but I've always remembered that I never forgot it. So in order to make verse one truly make sense, I want you to go one chapter before this. Hebrews chapter 11, still same translation. Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to read verse one and two, and then we'll skip down to verse 32. <clears throat> Verse 1 says, faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It is, it is, somebody say, it is. It is. The evidence of things we cannot see. Through their faith, the people in the days of old earned a good reputation. Earned a good reputation. Now, we're going to skip down to verse 32, but 
while you're turning there, I want to paraphrase verses 3 through 32. Now, if, uh, for the most part, we all understand. If you don't, then let me explain it to you. But Hebrews chapter 11 is it's noted, it's 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 known in our circles as, as the Hall of Faith. You know, in the sports world, you have the Hall of Fame, you know, all the legends that have done great things in their sport. They retire after seven years, their retirement, five years, some of them. So, and then some make an exception. It's, it's less than that. But, you know, they uh, after so many years, they make it to the Hall of Fame. That means uh, their stats are posted in the in this big uh, shrinery, this big building, uh, trophies, all their accolades, their bio, all these different things. They give a speech. They put on the gold jacket and uh, they give a speech. And it's really cool. They even have a statue made that looks like them. And, you know, uh, and, and, uh, and they have the rankings. In fact, uh, one of my favorite things that the NBA did this past year, they did the NBA top uh, 75 players. And I'm like, wow, like that's pretty cool to think that the NBA has been going on for that long and to think that many players. And it's hard because there's been so many players, so you have to select. But, I mean, it's without a doubt, without a doubt. You know where I'm going with this. It's without a doubt, beyond a shadow of a doubt. I mean, Jesus isn't playing basketball, so he can't be number one. So we have to put the GOAT himself, Michael, Michael Jeffrey Jordan. All right, he had, they, they put him number one. They put him number one, and, and I loved it because the, the All-Star uh, weekend, it was in Cleveland, Ohio, you know, LeBron's hometown, but still the greatest cheer wasn't for the hometown hero. It was for the hero. That's right. That's right. But in the Hall of Faith, um, we see people that are mentioned, and, and the great thing that these people, and I'm going to mention someone, the great thing that, uh, they're, that they're mentioned for is just their faith alone. They're not, mentioned, they're not mentioned because they had great IQ levels. They're not mentioned because they can, uh, the, the David, when he's mentioned, he's not mentioned because he slayed the Goliath. He's not mentioned because he slayed lions, tigers, and bears. Oh, my. <laughs> he's not, you know, you, you would think somebody doing those kind of feats, they would be mentioned because of that. But no, Hebrews chapter 11 mentions these people because of their faith. And listen, faith in the Greek is, de is defined as a firm persuasion. So when I say faith, we're saying a firm persuasion. It's like you grabbing somebody's hand and getting a firm grip on it. So when we say we have faith in Jesus, we have a firm grip in on who Jesus said he is. We have a firm grip on his promises. We have a firm grip that he is our Abba Father. We have a firm grip that he died and three days later he rose again. But when he died, he nailed all of our sins to the cross and those sins went down to the grave. And when he rose again, he rose above those sins. We have been liberated because of what he does. We have a firm grip, a firm persuasion on that itself. And understand this, in verses 3 through 32, we see people mentioned like Abel. Abel's mentioned because he had a firm grip. Well, the Bible says faith, but I really want to nail it in for you. He had a firm grip, a firm persuasion on who God said he was. Enoch is mentioned because he had a firm grip of who God said he was. Noah is mentioned because he has such a firm grip that he built an ark. When Guess what? They had never seen rain fall from the sky. So as he's building this ark and people are, why are you building this ark? Because it's about to rain and it's about to flood and God's going to flood the earth. And people will look at him and say, you are crazy. You don't understand what you're talking about. People discredited him. Well, it sounds so familiar to our walk. When you try to walk out for God, when you try to follow Jesus and people, why, why are you being nice? Why aren't you cussing them out? They did you wrong. Why aren't you? Da, 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 da. No, no, no. If you have a firm persuasion on who God said he is, then guess what? It will change who you truly are. Abraham is mentioned because he had a firm persuasion on who God said he is. Sarah is mentioned. I love the fact that it didn't say Abraham and Sarah. It says Abraham and it lists he had faith in God. And then it says Sarah because she had faith in God. I love the fact that they, it mentioned them individually. Why? Because it's so easy to, to, to lump couples together. Well, guess what? They are still two individuals. Yes, they are married and become one. But at the same time, they are still two individuals. And guess what? One can have faith and the other can just have just as much or if not even more faith. Amen. Isaac is mentioned. I'm already preaching. I don't care what your reaction is because I feel it. Isaac is mentioned in this chapter because he had faith in God. Jacob is. Let, let, let me back up. Isaac, when Abraham sacrificed Isaac, I don't know if you knew this. Abraham had the understanding and belief that God was going to raise him from the dead. That's how he committed he was. He was like, hey, Lord, I'm going to do this to you because I know you will raise. And Abraham, it is never mentioned in the book of Genesis of God raising somebody from the dead. So to have, so really what firm persuasion looks like is to have belief that God will do something that you've never seen him do something before. 
Abraham and Isaac is mentioned. Jacob is mentioned. Esau is mentioned. Joseph is mentioned. Moses is mentioned. And the nation of Israel crossing over the Red Sea is mentioned having a firm grip. Somebody say grip. Grip. A firm grip on the promises of God. A firm grip. And I, I've told this story over and over, but I love it because it's the best way I know how to explain it. But I remember when we was youth pastors and I had this one kid come up and I'm trying to explain what 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 faith truly is. And I poured this ice cold water over our hands as he held my hand. I said, no matter what, do not let go. I said, no matter how it feels, no matter if you can feel the water separating our hands, no matter if, it, if it's tingling, no matter whatever it is, do not let go. Because the idea, the, the focus wasn't on the water. The focus was on the grip. God, God, and, and guess what? We both saw the water falling on our hands. God sees everything that is affecting your life. Right. And his focus, hey, don't, don't let go. Don't, don't, don't let go. Somebody say, don't let go. Don't let go. So in verse 32, sorry, in verse 32, I love this because the author, after he's mentioned all these people, he says this, how much more do I need to say it would take too long to recount the stories of the faith of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jebeth, David, Samuel, and all the prophets. Verse 33, by faith, these people, ooh, by firm persuasion of God, these people overthrew kingdoms, ruled with justice, and received what God had promised them. They shut the mouths of lions, quenched the flames of fire, and escaped death by the edge of the sword. Watch this. Their weakness was turned to strength. When you have a firm persuasion in God, guess what? Your weakness is going to look like your strength. What are you weak in? What are you weak in? I, I, I don't want to call her out, but there was somebody that told me earlier that, that she got nervous when I said, hey, I need you to do this, this. And guess what? When it came time to it, I heard the Holy Spirit speak through her this morning. Your weakness will be turned to strength. The verse says they became strong in battle and put whole armies to flight. Verse 35, women received their loved ones back again from death. But others were tortured, refusing to turn from God in order to be set free. They placed their hope in a better life after the resurrection. Some were jeered at and their backs were cut open with whips. Others were chained in prisons. Verse 37, some died by stoning. Some were sawed in half and others were killed with the sword. Some went about weary, uh, wearing skins or sh uh, of sheep and over deserts and mountains, hiding in caves and holes in the ground. All these people earned a good reputation because of their faith, yet none of them received all that God had promised, which leads us to verse 1 of chapter 12. Therefore, that's why there's that word, therefore. Therefore, since we are surrounded by all those people mentioned before, a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith. Let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. You see how because we read chapter 11, it makes verse 1 of chapter 12, it, it, it nails it home. It, it, it gives it a whole new meaning. Because now when you see that, that we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses, what crowd? The crowd we just read, the, the crowd that was, that was literally pursuing God to the point that if they had to get stoned to death, they, they said, I, I, will, I, will not, I will not forsake God. I will not abandon God. I will not, I will not give my allegiance to any other. If that means you have to stone me, I forgot I live, for God I die. And verse, uh, verse 1, chapter 12, literally says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses, your peers aren't the people you went to school with. That's right. Woo! Your peers aren't the people you went to school with. Your peers are the ones that crossed over the Red Sea. Your peers are the ones that shut the mouth of lions. Your peers are the ones that looked Pharaoh in the eyes and said, let my people go. Your peers are the ones that were like Gideon. Or watch this. Your peers are the ones that were in the fiery furnace believing and hoping on God. That's who your peers are. And guess what? They aren't in competition with you. It says that they are surrounding you, watching and cheering you on from the heavens. Why? Because they have the same goal that we should have, which is firm grip in God and who he said he is. Woo. Somebody say, Jesus is worth the trouble. So watch this. We really going to go in. We really going to go in. Theologically, in verse, in verse 1, he said that let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin. He didn't say a sin. He didn't say strip off a sin or strip off sin. No, no, no. He's specific when he says the sin that trips us up. I want you to understand this if you're taking notes. The sin that he's talking about, the sin that so easily trips up every Jesus follower is unbelief. 
The sin that so easily trips up you and me is unbelief. And there, there's a difference. It's not unbelief to the point that you never confess Jesus as your Lord and Savior. He's not talking about that type of unbelief. The reason I know that is because if you didn't know this, the book of Hebrews was written to Jewish Christians who were considering going back to Judaism and leaving Jesus. Why? Because of all the people mentioned in chapter 11 towards the last part where we see that people are being sawed in half. People are being stoned. People are being cast in the fire. People are dying. People are being tortured. And they're seeing this and they're like, we, 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 uh, the, we can't handle this. And they're, and they're considering forsaking Jesus and going back to the law, considering uh, forsaking Jesus and going back to their life before. So therefore, the author writes the book of Hebrews, and therefore, that's why he mentions the hall of faith. He says, hey, 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 our peers, look what they've done. And he begins to list all the different things. And then he says, because they were able to do it, let us, somebody say me. me. Let me strip off the sin of unbelief that weighs me down. Because uh, let, me, let, let me just give you some examples of what unbelief looks like. You know, not believing that God knows the right spouse for you leads you to rush into dating and marrying the wrong life partner. Not believing in the kindness of God leads us, watch this, to self-led suffering every time we make a mistake. Amen. Not believing in God leads you, you know, when you make a mistake and you have that you don't fully believe that God is truly kind and merciful and gracious. The moment you make a mistake, you're like, I, I, I don't know. I'm not going to pray because I've done this. I I didn't read enough or I I said that I I cut somebody out or I cut somebody off. And I'm, you know, God, you don't even want to hear from me. And let's, you know, we've built up this case, this false case of why God would never want to intertwine with us, interact with us, love us or forgive us. Not believing in the kindness of God leads us to do that. Unbelief in the truth that our identity is restored in Christ leads us to hamartia. Not believing that your identity is restored in Jesus, what he did on the cross, leads us to hamartia, which, is, uh, which means distorted identity. You know, because see what Jesus did, he restored your identity at the cross. I don't know if you knew that, but he restored you. You are now the righteousness of God. You are righteous in God. You are, as the Bible says, you are just as Jesus is, so are you in the world. You are restored. Somebody say, I am restored. restored. And when we have a distortion of our identity, that's what leads us to miss the mark, sin, hamartia. When we have a distortion, understand this, it's, it's, like, it's like if you had on, uh, I don't know if you remember, I'm definitely dating myself, but uh, when 3D movies first came out, they had the, um, when, uh, you can buy, I think it was in a, um, I think KFC did this promo when I was a kid, and they had the red and blue glasses. And TGI uh, uh, Friday on, you know, ABC7 or whatever, do this whole segment, and there was like a couple shows where it's supposed to be 3D, and you put the glasses on, and you're able to watch Family Matters in the 3D segment. But, you know, if you tried to go to the bathroom, you would see a red and blue distortion of the bathroom. You know, if you walked in anywhere else in the house, you would see a red and blue distortion of what reality truly is. That's what it's like when we sin. We've sinned because we see a distorted version of ourselves. We don't see the version that Jesus restored. We just see us. We watch this. We see who the devil tried to tell Adam and Eve who they were when they really weren't. And the devil said, if, if you eat this, you'll be like God. They were already like God. Amen. They were already created in the image of God. Watch this. They had the same job because God gave Adam dominion. He gave him the responsibility of identifying every creature on the earth. He gave him the job of identification. It's still the devil saying, if, if you eat of this, you'll be like God. That's what sin likes to do. It likes to distort our identity. Well, if, if God truly loved you, he would have brought somebody in your, in your, on your path right, uh, right about now. Since he ain't done it, just go ahead, and, go ahead and find somebody. There's all kinds of dating apps. There's all kinds of friends. You know, you heard your coworker say, I got a friend. I got a friend. You know, and the devil loves to distort how we see ourselves. And therefore, we make decisions first off of a distorted version of ourselves. Well, if God truly, if God truly uh, has made you the head and not the tail, then you would have had all this money. Instead, just go down to the bank and get da-da-da instead of believing for him anyway. Or better yet, if God truly, if God truly was providing, why did he raise gas prices? Well, I guess you just need to, I guess you just need to stop going anywhere. Don't go to church. Don't go to work. Da-da-da-da. 
And we make these decisions based off of a distorted version of ourselves, which leads us to sin, which leads us to missing the mark. That's hamartia. The sin that so easily trips us up is unbelief. Point number one, right believing leads to right living. Right believing leads to right living. Right, but you believe God right, you'll live right. Lindsay, how do I believe God right? You spend time in his presence. You spend time in his word. You ask him questions. This morning as I was, as I was uh, getting ready, I was asking him questions about this. I'm like, Lord, there's, what about this, this, this? There's times when I'm driving and working. Lord, what about this? How does it, Lord, what's on your mind? What's, well, what about this? How do I do this? Ask him, ask him, ask him. Right believing leads to right living. Somebody say trouble. So like I said earlier, the, the book of Hebrews, it was written to the Jewish Christians who had come upon hard times. Come upon hard times and were considering leaving the faith. They were considering deconstructing their faith. They were considering walking away from the faith. But see, Jesus is worth the trouble that you face in life on his behalf. Jesus is worth the trouble that you will face in this life on his behalf. And, and, and I, I, I put that last clause in there on his behalf because I don't want you to think that uh, when I say trouble, I, I don't mean that uh, any, any type of trouble. Because understand this, not all trouble is a byproduct of following Jesus. That's right. Not all trouble is a byproduct of following Jesus. And, of course, my imagination went crazy, you know, because it's easy to be like, Jesus is worth the trouble. Yeah, he's worth the trouble. <laughs> but and we just start clumping all things, you know, oh, it's because of the glory of God. Oh, because I'm following Jesus. Uh, high gas prices has nothing to do with Jesus. You can't blame that on Jesus. You know, it, we're we're not having the opposite of the Flip Wilson effect. You know, the Flip Wilson, you know, the devil made me do it. You can't say, you know, oh, Jesus raised the gas. No, Jesus didn't raise the gas prices. Gas prices had nothing to do with Jesus. You know, you cussing somebody out had nothing to do with Jesus. Amen. You know, high prices at Walmart or things not uh, Walmart being out of stock has nothing to do with following Jesus. Amen. You because you made the decision to follow Jesus, you know, it's, that, that that didn't trinkle and cause Walmart to not keep stuff on the shelves. Amen. It didn't cause the other person to get into the lane and the left lane and drive slow. It didn't cause you to oversleep. It didn't cause the baby kids that you work with and teach and try to train. It didn't cause them to be extra baby, you know. Amen. It, 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 it didn't cause you to look at somebody and lust after them. It, that's not a byproduct of following Jesus. It, don't, it didn't cause you to do all these, all these different troubles and, and, and nuances that we have that we face in life. You can't blame that on Jesus. That's right. You know, we're, like I said, we're not having the opposite of the Flip Wilson effect, you know. You know, Jesus made me do it. Following Jesus made me do it. Following Jesus made me spank my kids. No, that has nothing to do with it. It means you have a short temper. Or them kids are just baby. I don't know. You know, following Jesus ain't the reason that your gas tank is almost on E every two days. You know, that's, that's, that's the life. That's the life we're living. But when I say Jesus is worth the trouble, I'm talking about, I'm talking about the actual uh, disturbances, the actual inconveniences, the actual frustrations to your flesh. Somebody say to my flesh. <clears throat> Hallelujah. He's worth the trouble. See, there, there, there are certain, uh, there's certain difficulties, there's certain problems, there's certain inconveniences and moments of frictions that come our way because we have made the decision to daily, to daily, somebody say daily, daily, daily surrender our life to Jesus and his way. And I, we'll get into some of those, those, those troubles I'm talking about. But just like all the people mentioned in chapter 11, a.k.a. the cloud of witnesses that watch us from heaven and cheer us on, we too have come to the same conclusion, which is following Jesus is worth the trouble. Amen. I, want, I want to hammer that in. Jesus, following Jesus is worth the trouble. I'm a tell owner. I'm going to tell y'all a story. I'm going to tell owner. She, she, she can love me, uh, but I'm going to say it. But uh, my mom, I love my mom. Oh, Lord, I love my mom. My mom does this thing that I don't do. I don't do it because I don't have the patience for it. It's not worth it to me. But she does it, and the product is flawless. You know, so I don't, if anybody in here, when you do laundry, there's certain, uh, you have your clothes divided. Before you divide them into colors, you have, you know, dry all the way, hang to dry. You know, that was one of the things I was very thankful that my parents taught me, especially when I moved out. You got clothes to hang to dry. And for the longest, there, was, there were several years I had shirts that I wore in high school that still looked like I just bought them from JCPenney. I mean, I, I was taking care of them jokers. But when my mom does laundry, uh, 
when it comes to her clothes that she hangs to dry with her pants specifically, all right? Her pants, so she lets them dry just a little bit, and while they're still wet, she'll hang them. But she don't hang them like you and I. She don't hang them like you and I. She will hang them by the seams. She'll match the seams together and then drape them over so gently over the clothes. Saying, look, Granny, so that's, that's where you got it. You got it from Granny. I already know. She'll hang ever so gently over the clothes hanger. And the reason she does this is because it produces a crease in the pants. And then she hangs it up because it's already ready to hang up in the closet. And when it's time to wear it, she don't have to iron it. Why? Because the crease is already in there. And I remember when we first, I forgot she did this. Grady's like, mm-hmm. See, like, Grady, be proud of Be proud. She, she's doing something you taught her. Uh, but I remember when we first went back, I forgot she did this. And it was, it was late one night, and her clothes were in the dryer. And uh, Drea said, Mom, I'm getting ready to hang up your clothes, but I remember you like your pants a certain way. And Mom's like, yeah, I'm coming. I do it. I do it. You know, I don't even know what Mom was doing, but she got up in a hurry. She, I do it. I do it. I do it. She was in the laundry working, and I forgot about that until this past week. Uh, she had some she had some clothes in the in the dryer, and I knew they weren't supposed to be uh, dried all the way. They were her scrubs, and I got ready to put them on the dryer or put them on the hanger. I'm, I'm like, I got to a pair of pants. I'm like, I'm like, I really got a lot of stuff to do. So then I come to the conclusion. I, I I was at a crossroads. I'm like, do I just leave this in here and pretend like I don't see it, and then when she comes home, she can hang it up, or do I do it the way she wants? Because, the, because this is a, so I'm like, <sighs> so here I go. You know, and Cohen's asleep. So anybody understands when the baby's asleep, you got to make the most of that time. So I'm like, the last thing I want to be doing, Lord, is hanging up some pants by the creases, by the seams. I'm like, no, nah, I'm, I'm going to do it. So I'm, I'm doing it, hanging it up, da, da, da. But overall, she does this because, uh, watch this, she does this because the, the overall outcome is worth the trouble. In her mind, the overall outcome, which is not having to iron her pants because they are ready, crease ready, it's worth having to take time while they're wet, miss out TV, miss out Steph Curry doing what he does, miss out all the other things in order to have the final product that she wants. It's worth the trouble. It's worth the trouble. So watch this. Well, I, I, when, I was, when I was thinking about this, I understand that she hangs the pants a certain way while they're wet. In other words, she creates the desired outcome while the pants are impressionable. While the pants are impressionable, she creates the desired outcome. A lot of times we look at troubles as burdens when really there are moments uh, of, of us in that state or in that season of impressionability. And God's trying to, he has a desired outcome for you. And in this moment of impressionability, he knows he can crease it into, into fruition. He knows he can crease it into play. He knows that, okay, I, I, want, I want Miranda, I want her life to look like this. Yes, it may be fritcher right now, but this is the perfect moment where I can put my thumbprint. I can put my impression. I can put my glory to where it's going to look like the way it was always intended from the very beginning. Your moments of trouble, your moments of friction aren't really just burdens. Really, they're moments of impressionability that God is trying to crease something into effect. Somebody say he's worth the trouble. Jesus, Jesus was worth the trouble. You can ask any disciple. You can ask Stephen. Stephen knew that following Jesus was worth the trouble because guess what? Stephen is the only person we see in the New Testament. I love the story of Stephen, but he's the only person we see in the New Testament that when he looked up to the heavens, he saw Jesus standing, standing. In, a, in the rest of the New Testament, we see that Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father. But Stephen, because Stephen has this unashamed boldness that when the, the when all the Pharisees and all the Sadducees, because they were sad, you see, when all the when they would look at him and they would ask him, why are you defending God? Don't shake your head. Why are you defending God the way you do? He began to talk how he began to proclaim the gospel. He began to proclaim that Jesus is Lord and Jesus is the Messiah and Jesus is Yahweh. And they didn't want to hear it and they stoned him to death. But right before they stoned him, he looks up to heaven and sees that Jesus. Jesus is standing and applauding, applauding, applauding. And in that moment, he knew that following Jesus is worth the trouble. You can ask Peter. Oh, I love Peter. Me and Peter, I feel like me and Peter were twins. Peter stayed ready. You stay ready, you ain't even got to get ready. But Peter knew that following Jesus was worth the trouble. Peter knew that following Jesus was worth stepping out of the boat. Peter knew that following Jesus was worth casting his net on the other side. Peter knew that after, before he had ever been forgiven, Peter knew that following Jesus was worth jumping out of the boat and swimming to shore. Peter knew that following Jesus was worth feeding his sheep. Peter knew that following Jesus was worth dying the way that he would do. 
that he died. John the Baptist knew that following Jesus was worth the trouble. He knew that he was that following Jesus was worth so much trouble that when it came time to be beheaded, he accepted it. These are the type of troubles that they went through. But we doubt God because gas is almost at five dollars. We doubt God because we're still single. Oh, we doubt God because we ain't got that million or we ain't hit the lotto. Oh, we doubt God because, man, our church ain't looking new like the church over on 412 or the church on the other side of town. We doubt God because of the trivialest things. Which I, I, even though even though chapter 11 was written for them, I fully believe it was written for us because understand this. When we begin to doubt God, go back into chapter 11, verses 32 through 39 and look and see that people were being sawed in half for the glory of God. People were dying. People were being tortured. People were being torn apart physically, not just mental. I'm not I'm just I'm not talking about those mental breaks where you're still able to be in the comfort of your home, but you just need a mental break. No, no, no. People were being sawed in half. Because they had a firm persuasion of who God is. Because they knew Jesus was worth the trouble. Somebody say he's worth the trouble. trouble. John the Baptist knew he was worth the trouble. Ooh, even better yet, Zacchaeus. You know, I I don't know if you remember Zacchaeus from the Sunday school lessons. Zacchaeus was a little man and a little wee man was he or something like that. I can't remember how the jingle went. Yep, that's it. (laughs) Mm Mm-hmm. We was in that middle room back there when we learned that. Oh, wow, there's more. (laughs) As cute as it is, guess what? Zacchaeus knew Jesus was worth the trouble. Because when he got down, the Bible says that after spending time with Jesus, he confessed to Jesus, Lord. I repent and I will undo everything that all the unjust that I've done and I will give every possession that I have away. Zacchaeus knew it. Let me give you some brief history. Zacchaeus was a tax collector and tax collectors in that day were known as as dirty and crooked. In fact, uh, they they were mostly hated by their own. Why? Because they taxed their own. It'd be like, you know, you get a cousin. It'd be like if you it'd be like if your first cousin made it to the to the White House was the president. Like, all right, so you call him up. Hey, hey, Pookie, how you doing, man? Yeah, uh, yeah, I got this ticket, you know, because I was try- I was on my way to church. I was doing right. You know, I got a speeding ticket. So, you know, since you, you know, since you POTUS, you know, I figured, you know, you t- t- take care of that. And POTUS be like, no, nah, I ain't going to take care of that. Then you be like, man, you a turncoat, you turncoat, you. That's what it was like for tax collectors. They get in a position of government and the- they would tax their own. They would turn on their own. And Zacchaeus, he had robbed and he had stole and did all these different things. And the Bible says that after him spending an afternoon with Jesus, he realized that Jesus was worth the trouble of him giving everything he had away. He realized that Jesus was worth the trouble. And when I say trouble, I'm not just talking about all the different troubles that we face. No, I'm talking about the troubles that are truly a byproduct of following Jesus. The inconveniences of our flesh, the disruptions of our flesh. The daily, Lord, understand this, daily surrender to Jesus and his way is worth the trouble. Following Jesus looks like a daily surrender. Somebody say daily. daily. A daily surrender to Jesus and his way is worth not having a whole lot of friends. Daily surrendering to Jesus is worth not having a whole lot of friends. And that's hard for me because I want friends. I'm like, I'll be back home. We're going to meet up this person. going to do this, this, this. But guess what? Not every person you need to be hanging out with. Not because you're better than them, but because the call of God only it requires certain things. Watch, watch this. When uh, back to uh, the analogy of mom, uh, when she does the laundry, even when she washes those scrubs, that because there are certain material, they can only wash with certain things. Amen. If she washes them with the sweaters, and guess what? The, the, the cotton balls get off the sweaters, they get onto them scrubs, and then the scrubs look raggedy, old, and time to throw them away. Amen. Why? Because when it comes to the washing process, only certain materials can wash with certain materials. Amen. Only certain friends you need to be hanging out with. Right. Well, Lindsay, I'm trying to get them saved. Yeah, yeah, you do that. But at the same time, who you pour your life into, who you invest your life with, you need to be selected by that. Right. Test every friendship. Yeah. Well, Lindsay, I don't know. Test every friendship. Amen. 
If Jesus was willing to get on a cross and die and rise, raise three days later for your soul to spend eternity with him, test every friendship. Amen. Test every friendship. Test every association. Test every relationship. There were, I, I, I love telling this story, but I remember um, when the first time I seen Kelsey. First time I seen Kelsey, she came down with the with the internship, and uh, I'm not I'm not going to describe the feelings I had, you know, because my mom's in the room. It's kind of awkward, but I remember I remember um, she was working book and tape, and I I've been like I've been like peeping, you know, eyeing, watching all week, you know, because they were there all week, and she do book and, book and tape table. That's that's definitely date myself, book and tape, you know, media, um, and, you know, she would help sell, you know, and all that, take the money, answer questions, da da. da. So like me and my roommate Nick, we went in half and half. I like hey. Bro, like I, I, I told him the plan. I was like, hey, I'm going to talk to that girl, but I'm just going to go up. Like, she working book tape table, so like, we need to buy a book and tape, all right? I, but I said, but we ain't gonna, we ain't gonna read the book, so let's just buy a tape, you know? <laughs> I was like, at least, at least we're being honest, you know? Like, we put the CD in our car and we'd be good, you know? Explains probably why I do Audible still to this day. So it started way back then, and uh, so we. So we, 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 went, we went in, you know, together because uh, we weren't going to pay. I wasn't going to pay full price for a tape. You know, I'm like, hey, hey, no, nah, no. Nah, you know, like, Nick, you need this too, so half it with me. So we have to, and I got ready to go by, uh, you know, go to the table or whatever, and I had been watching her all week. You know, I've been watching, just kind of standing from the distance, and I'm at the table, and she's talking to some girls, and I begin to hear her talk about different things that she likes that I don't like, and I'm like, Oh, okay. Well, Lord, that, that's a sign right there. You know, I, I've, I've tested this, and I saw that ain't me. So I'm like, all right, we got the little tape. Be nice, you know, so into ministry. We out. Deuces, you know. I ain't talking to her. Go, Lord, you helped me dodge a bullet. And lo and behold, you know, a few weeks later, she, I, I can't get it out of my mind, so I add her on social media, but I don't talk to her. Don't message her. Just send a, you know, friend request, and don't say nothing. You know, but but that the uh, the moment I added her, I think it was maybe a week or two weeks before I seen her in person. I'm I'm stalking her social media page. I'm looking at pictures. I'm looking at posts. I'm looking at places she's tagged in. I'm looking at all the because why? Because I want to know who this person is. Because my yes, my flesh may be interested, but before my soul gets attached, I need to see who you are. I need to see who you hang around with. I need to see what you're truly about. Test every person that comes into your life. And if, the, and if, watch this, if they're like, man, I can't, how dare you test me? Okay, well, you can go. Because my, my soul is too precious to be, just be hanging out with anybody, to just be intertwining with anybody. The God of the universe died to save this, this one right here. And that's the way we need to start seeing ourselves. If God invested his only son into you, guess what? That means you're worth something. You are worth something. You are worth something. You are worth something. Jesus is worth every trouble. Jesus is, is worth every trouble that comes with him. But understand this, to get back into it, that was a freebie. You can have it. Daily surrender to Jesus and his way is worth not having a lot of friends. It's, it's worth not going to the club. It's worth not getting drunk. Watch this. Here's, here's, here's one that really hurts. It's worth not being the captain of your own ship. Amen. Following Jesus is worth you not, you not being in the driver's seat all the time. Following Jesus is worth not getting revenge for all the wrong you've experienced from church and unchurched people. Amen. I'm going to say that one more time because that hits right here. Following Jesus is worth you not always getting revenge. Amen. Following Jesus is worth you not always having the last thing to say. Following Jesus is worth waiting on the right spouse and not trusting in an algorithm. Following Jesus is worth you waiting on God for your spouse versus, oh, my coworker has a friend and a friend and a friend. Jesus. Following Jesus is worth fasting at certain times. Amen. Following Jesus is worth turning the TV off and praying. Following Jesus is worth turning the other cheek. Following Jesus is worth removing the log out of your eye before you call out the speck in somebody else's. Following Jesus is worth letting go of 30 years of tradition and just saying, God, all I want you. Following Jesus is worth telling Pharaoh, let my people go and trusting that God is going to make a way. Following Jesus is saying, God, for you, I will live and I will die. If that means I have to go in a fiery furnace, I will not forsake your name. Following Jesus is 
trusting that no matter how tall Goliath is, that I can have the smallest pebble and I can still knock out the enemy. Following Jesus is understanding that my praise can destroy walls. Following Jesus that it don't matter what how high the gas is, God has provided me the vehicle, he'll provide the gas. Following Jesus is knowing that my, that my purpose is not in my job, it's not in my family, but it's in what he did at the cross. Following Jesus is knowing that his promises, he will never leave me nor forsake me and if for him I will live him I will die at the end of the day I have him and that's all I need following Jesus is worth the trouble it's worth the trouble that your flesh is going to endure it's worth the destruction it's worth the it's worth the inconveniences yeah fasting isn't fun but guess what if it produces something that God is able to make impressionable Oh, I'll take it. Lord, if, if, if this is the type of season that you can crease the genes of my life, oh, Lord, do whatever you got to do. However it looks like, whatever it looks like. My, my favorite song by Bishop Paul is more, Lord, whatever you're doing, don't do it without me. In order to be able to have that, to be the anthem of our heart, that means that we have to be okay with the trouble that comes with following Jesus. The inconveniences that come with following Jesus. Lord, whatever you're doing, don't do it without me. Lord, if that means you're healing, here's the biggest thing. Lord, if you're healing through somebody else and I'm just in the room, okay, I'll be okay with that. Lord, if you're speaking through somebody else and I don't have a word to say, I'll be okay with that. Lord, if, if you're doing stuff and people don't look at me, but they see you, I'll be okay with that. Lord, if I don't get the glory, if I don't get the recognition, if I don't get the lotto ticket, if I don't get the new car, if I don't get the new house, Lord, still, if you are advancing your kingdom, if you are saving souls, if you're raising people from the dead, if you are healing lives, if you're restoring lives, Lord, I will be a part of it. Whew. Somebody say he's worth the trouble. Following Jesus is worth the mortifying of your fleshly wants and desires. Following Jesus is worth the mortifying of your fleshly wants and desires. The best way to say it is, guess what? Yahweh, not your way. Yahweh, not your way. When we redesign the church, I, I want a picture that says, literally, I, we can put it wherever we want, but I want one that says, Yahweh, not your way. Why? Because that needs to be the anthem. That should be the anthem of every Christian. But that needs to be the anthem of this house. You're, Yahweh, not your way. When you wake up tomorrow morning as you're praying, Yahweh, Lord, Yahweh, not my way. Lord, what is it you, how, how, how do you want me to teach these kids for those that work with kids? Lord, how do you want me to teach, Lord, how do you want me to deal with these parents, those that work in a factory? Lord, how do you want me to put this part together? How do you want me to work with this person? Lord, you don't know, I, you know I don't like this person, so Lord, how do I need to work with this person? Those that are driving down the road, Lord, how, where do I need to go? Where do I, what do I need to eat? What do I need to stay from? Yahweh, not your way. Yahweh, not your way. Yahweh, not your way. Why? Because following Jesus is worth doing his way. We sang it last week. His way is better. Yes. So much better. Yes, and you know, to be honest, his way isn't just better. It's the best. Yes, it's not like there's any other option. No, no, no. Jesus is the truth. Yes. We, we, we talked about it earlier this week and even last Sunday. But the Ohio State University made the claim that the, that, that university is the standard. And when Jesus said, I am the door, guess what? There's no other door that compares to him. You can walk through, you can walk through a turnstile and still can't get where he can take you in one moment. In one moment. In one moment. All it takes is one moment. All it takes is one moment of fasting. One moment of praying. One moment of surrendering. One moment of saying, okay, if the people in chapter 11 endured all that they endured, and my life doesn't have to look any, anywhere remotely near that, I can endure what I'm going through. I can hold my head up. It doesn't mean that we ignore. It doesn't mean that we turn a blind, eye, a blind eye to all the different things we're going through. No, no, no. It just means that we walk through it with him. It means that we take our firm persuasion, our grip on his hand, and we walk through the mess that we're going through. We walk through the high gas prices. We walk through the loneliness. We walk through the not being able to go to the club because we value our lives better than that. We walk through maybe not having a million dollars yet, but we still act like we have something and we still are grateful for what we have. We walk through the mess with him. Amen. He's Emmanuel 24-7, 365 days a year. Yeah. Not just Christmas. 
He's not God with you through Christmas. No, no, no. He's God with you right now. He's Emmanuel right now. He's Emmanuel right now, and he's worth the trouble. He's worth the disruptions of your flesh. He's worth the inconvenience of your flesh. And this message is definitely for me because I'm a person I love to hurry. I love I, the patience level for me is always at a one. And Kelsey's like, oh, one. No, it's a one most times, especially when it comes time to eat. Mom was cooking dinner the other night. I didn't say anything. And she's like, I'm, I, it's almost done. It's almost done. I'm like, oh, cool. The, no, 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 no. That, that's not her. It's me. That's something I have to work on. And even the next morning, just give me another example. The next morning, I hadn't eaten anything. We had overslept and, and got everybody to school. And Dre's like, hey, I need you to get me to work. And it was like 30 minutes before you go to work. So there's no point of going home and eating and make coffee. So I just sat in the office away from everybody to do them a solid. I'm like, y'all, y'all don't want this. You don't want this beast. I got to get something to eat and something to drink first. So I'm just going to sit right here. Da, da, da. Patience. Da, da, da. So definitely that's a fruit that I have to work on. But understand this. Jesus is so much worth the trouble that if we have to be patient, it should be nothing. It should be nothing for us to say, okay, God, Lord, what, what, show, show me, show, show me, Lord. Show me. And it, you understand this? The, the people that are mentioned, the hall of faith, it wasn't like they were tweeting their thumbs and God's like, oh, I want you to do this miraculous thing. No, 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 no. They were living lives just like you and I. They were raising families or they were working. They were tilling the ground. They were doing all these different things. And in a moment, God's saying, hey, I've called you. Will you accept that call? I have a purpose. I have a destiny for you. Will you accept it? And as and as they had that firm grip on God, they got to see, oh, snap. All this is these different things are happening because I've I've decided to follow you. Abba, Yahweh, Yeshua. Okay. And they had that decision. Well, it wasn't like this before, so maybe I should go back to what it was like before. Or wait, but but you know what? It's my life has never been like this, and it never will get like this again. I'm I'm going to trust in you, God. And just that simple decision to trust in God landed them in chapter eleven, landed them in the hall of faith. <clears throat> but more, but even better, landed them in the accolades of heaven, to where they're honored in heaven. And I said it a few weeks ago, but I'd rather have I'd rather have the applause of heaven and the silence of man. You know, we live in a world social media definitely tells us, but Hollywood tells us and our uh, the world's culture tells us that it's oh, what you what you should seek is the applause of man, the applause of your community, the applause of your peers. But we read in chapter in chapter uh, 12, verse one, that really our peers are those that came before us, are those that are in heaven cheering us on. I want their applause. I want to be like Stephen and look up and see that God, Jesus, is standing because I've made the decision to have that firm persuasion of who he says he is. Because I've made the decision to say, okay, Jesus, you're worth the trouble. Jesus, you're worth the trouble. Somebody say he's worth the trouble. Let me close with this. Is following Jesus worth your current frustrations, moments of friction and inconveniences that you're dealing with right now? Let me ask you that. Is is following Jesus worth the inconveniences that you're dealing with right now? Here's a better one. If if Yahweh told you that he wants you to stay on your job because those children need you, because those parents need you, and because in in the end he's using you to transform and advance his kingdom, if God told you that, would you stay there? If God told you to stay on and stay on the job, the same job you work in the last 15, 20, 30 years that God told you to stay there because he was doing something through you for somebody else. Would you would you consider it and say, OK, Lord, you're worth the trouble. I'll stay. If God told you that it wasn't going to be next week or next month, but it won't be till next year or two years from now or three years from now when he brings about the right spouse. Would you consider it and would you say, OK, Lord, you're worth the trouble and I'll wait. If the Lord said that, hey, you're going to have to rent for the next couple of years, would you say, okay, Lord, you're, you're worth the trouble. I'll do that. You, if the Lord told you something that is an inconvenience to your flesh, would you say, Lord, you are worth the trouble. I will endure it. That's what we have to ask ourselves. Everything that we complain about, okay, Lord, is this you or is this just life? You know, the gas prices, that's just life. The, 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 the car breaking down, that's life. 300 miles on the car, 300,000 miles on the car, it's, something's going to happen. It's a man-made car. Amen. The roof leaks, that's not God. Don't blame it on God. 
oh, Lord, the roof is leaking. Are you trying to tell me I need an open heaven view? I'm not. No, I'm trying to tell you, you need to fix the shingles on your roof. Or the washing machine breakdown, or the dryer breakdown, or electricity go out. What, what's going on? Something out. I don't know, but don't blame it on Jesus. But the troubles and the frustrations to your flesh, those things that your flesh depends on. And then God is saying, okay, I need you. To, uh, uh, if you'll just fast for the next couple of days, there's something that I want to deposit on the inside of you. Would you say, okay, Lord, you're worth the trouble of my flesh. I'll, I'll do that. Thank you, Lord. I'll do that. I'll do that, Lord. If, here's, here's the one that hit me. If Yahweh told you the way life looked last week is how it's going to look for the next few weeks or months or years now because he's not tormenting you or torturing you, but because in your current position of influence, you are the perfect position. You are in the perfect position to change lives for the glory of God. You were in the perfect position to advance the kingdom of God. Would you stay there? Would you follow him? And would you consider that it's worth the trouble? If life, if your life this week looked the same as it did last week, would you say, okay, it's worth the trouble, Lord, I'll follow you? That's what we need to start asking ourselves. That's what we need to start asking ourselves. That's what we need to start asking ourselves. And if you've asked yourself and you say, yes, I will say, Lord, you are worth the trouble. If you're in here and you said, if you made the decision to follow Jesus, but also if you said at some point in your life or even today, Lord, you are worth the trouble of my flesh. You are worth the disruption, uh, disruptions or the inconveniences of my flesh. Then let me give you an application. Let me give you an application. If your answer is yes, we read it in chapter 12, verse 1. We're going to, if you don't mind pulling it back up. If not, I'll, I'll, I'll read it from my phone. <clears throat> but the author of Hebrews tells us how to, how to consider Jesus being worth the trouble. In chapter 12, verse 1, we'll do verse 1 and 2. Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus. Pause right this. We do this. Somebody say, we do this. We do this. So if you don't know anything else, he's literally telling you, okay, here's how you strip off the sin of unbelief. Here's, here's how you push it aside. Here's how you don't have a distorted identity. You do it by keeping your eyes on who? Jesus. Watch this. The champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Beside God's throne. In the... In the New Living, or in the, the Passion Translation, you don't have to go there, but it says this. It says, letting go of every wound that has pierced you. So the way that we're going to, the way that we're going to um, consider that he's worth the trouble, the way that we're truly going to follow him is in three steps. You ready? Step number one, let go of every wound that has pierced you. Let go of every wound that has pierced you. Lindsay, that's tough. You don't know what's been done to me. I, I don't know, but God does. Amen. He was pierced so you wouldn't have to be. Amen. Step number one, let go of every wound that has pierced you. The worst is always by church folk. The worst is always by Christians. The worst is always by family. However, you have to let it go. Amen. You have to let it go. And Jesus gives us the invitation that if we that we, you're not just you're not just throwing it in a trash can, you're not just putting it under bed like a like uh, you're not just putting it under the pillow like your tooth for the tooth fairy. No, no, no. Jesus said, "Cast your cares onto Him." So when we say, "Let go of every wound that has pierced you," watch this. Watch this. The wounds that have pierced you, give it to the one that was pierced for you. Everything that has pierced you. I don't care if somebody told you you shouldn't, uh, that, they didn't mean that. They didn't say, no, 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 no. If it's pierced you, if it's pierced your heart, <clears throat> if it's offended you, give it to the one that was pierced for you. And say, Lord, this hurts, but I give it to you. Lord, they said this, but I give it to you. They thought this, they told these lies, they did all these different things, but Lord, I give it to you, I let it go. Because guess what the Bible says that there's a beautiful exchange that happens as we cast our cares upon him. He cares for us, but also he gives us his burden that is, he gives us his yoke that is easy and light. 
easy and light. When's the last time you had something that was easy and light? Something that you could take a deep breath and just breathe. Let go of every wound that has pierced you. Step number one. Step number two. Stop unbelieving and start believing Jesus and the words that he has spoken and continues to speak. Stop unbelieving. Stop unbelieving. Stop doubting in who he said he is. Start believing in the words that he has spoken and continues to speak. And last but not least, focus your attention and expectations on Jesus. Focus your attention your attention, your eyesight. One of my favorite scriptures, I remember reading it several times last year. We preached it so many Sundays. Colossians 3, 1 and 2. Set your sights on the realities of heaven. Focus your attention on Jesus. Gas prices going up. Stuff is going overseas. This, this church is falling. This, this pastor is in, in, uh, in denial. This, this ministry is doing this. Or, or this person is doing that. We ain't doing that. No, 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 no. Focus your attention on Jesus. Focus your attention on Jesus. Focus your attention on Jesus. The Bible says the author and the finisher of your faith, the champion, the champion, undisputed heavyweight, winds and waves obey him when he says weather weight, the champion, the champion, not second, not second best, not second runner up, not first loser, the champion. Who initiates, that means he starts it. The initiator of your faith. But guess what? Jesus is so much more than the starter of things. He is the sustainer of things. Hebrews chapter, uh, chapter 1 says that through him, the world was created. He is the very thing that holds the molecules together. That seat, that pew that you're sitting in, the very molecules that hold, that's him. That, that's him. That, that, that's him. The sustainer of all things. That means that when we're at the crux of, I don't know how to, I don't know how to hold my life together. I don't know how to hold the few. It's not on you. It's on him. Focus your attention on Jesus. And my, my, the, the, the next part of that is focus your attention on Jesus and focus your expectations on Jesus. What do you expect in life? How do you expect it to happen? One word, Jesus. One person, Jesus. Focus your expectations. Expectations is believing that something will happen or be the case for the future. Your expectations should be rooted in Jesus. If they're rooted in you making a way, they're not going to come to fruition. Or if they come to fruition, you're going to have to sweat by the brow to make them happen. It can either be your responsibility or it could be God's responsibility. If it's God's responsibility, he sweats making it done. And guess what? God doesn't sweat because it's easy for him. Heaven is his throne and the earth is his footstool. You think he sweats over your problems? He doesn't. He, may, he takes care of it just like that. But when we take care of our problems, we're sweating, we're tired, blood pressure is up, sleepless nights, swollen ligaments, swollen body parts, broken back, broken heart, offended, hangry. Lack of patience, I, the list can go on. I feel like a clinical drug commercial. If you're experiencing these symptoms, it probably determines that you are not trusting in God. It could either be God's responsibility or your responsibility, but if it's your responsibility, it is your responsibility. And I'll be honest, I've, I've, yes, I'm very young, but I've seen enough to see in life that I do not want the responsibility of my life. I give that to God. I don't know how to be the best parent. I give that to God and, and pray that I can get past myself and hear what he says. I don't know how to be the best spouse. I pray that God shows me and gives me the wisdom. I don't know how to be the best pastor. I pray and ask God for the wisdom. I don't know how to be the best employee. I pray and ask God to, for the wisdom. I don't know how to be the best cousin, the best brother, the best, the best friend. I pray and ask God for the wisdom. Your expectations need to be rooted in Jesus. Amen. He's worth the trouble. Somebody say he's worth the trouble. He's worth the trouble. Listen, faith is not pa faith is not faith is not about passing a test. It's about placing your trust. Faith is not about passing a test. It's about placing your trust. 
faith is not about passing the test, it's about placing the trust. And I used to do this in the very beginning, I'm, I'm going to do it today. If uh, if you need to read the materials for this week, because guess what, it's not enough to, to be in the room. And yes, we'll put this on the podcast and you can listen to it, but also you need to read the word. Kenneth Hagin told a member in his audience in the middle of preaching a sermon uh, when he said, hey, let's open up our Bibles to da 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 And the person was just staring and said, no, son, you need to open your Bible. You need to see it for yourself. So that's why I want to give you these reading materials. If you want, if you want to continue this further, reading materials. Here's one, Hebrews chapter 11. <clears throat> Hebrews chapter 11. Luke chapter 14, verses 25 through 35. Luke 14, 25 through 35. Of course, Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. And last but not least, 1 John 2, 15 through 17. 1 John 2, 15 through 17. Faith is not about passing the test. It's about placing your trust. It's not about passing the test. It's about placing the trust. And if you've never placed your confidence and trust in Jesus, then there is no better day than today to do that. Well, Lindsay, I've accepted, I've made Jesus Lord and Savior of my life. Okay, well, awesome. If you've done that, then great. But, you know, sometimes we, we get into the, the, we fall into the trap of the enemy, which is, Lord, are you really worth all this? Are you really worth me having to endure this? Are you really worth me having to wait? It's easy to run for God. It's harder to wait on God. You know, because running to God, you, you're running. You can see what you do. Oh, yeah, I'm running for God. Spirit moving. Oh, it's a great word today. We're going to go to the... But when you got to wait on God, that's when the questions start coming. God, it's been two years now. Lord, my, my classmates, they're already married having kids. Or Lord, you know, I, this job still, this job still, Lord, how, how am I going to afford this? How am I going to afford that? Lord, what about this? What about this? Lord, another medication? Really, God? Like, another person gone? Really, Lord? It's easy to run for the Lord. It's hard to wait on him. But not every trouble is a byproduct of following Jesus. There are some things that are going to happen that are part of life. Ecclesiastes says that there is season, that there's, uh, there's all kinds of seasons under the sun. It rains on the just and the unjust. At the end of the day, everybody experiences rain. But there are certain disruptions and inconveniences to your flesh that you will have to endure. You will have to face and endure because you've made the decision to make Jesus Lord of your life. And we have to be okay with that. We have to be content with that and not doubt God and not doubt God. Amen.